Welcome to the podcast of the United Church of Bogota. We are a Bible-based church ministering to the English-speaking community in Bogota, Colombia. We invite you to join our diverse fellowship as we encounter God in worship and experience the impact of His grace on every part of our lives and in our world. To learn more, please visit our website at ucbogota.org. Uh, turn in your Bibles, if you will, please, to Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. Uh, you can use the Pew Bible there, or you can just look up here on the screen. We'll have all the Scripture uh, relevant to the sermon right there for you. Um, we're going to look at this famous story of the first Easter, particularly from the perspective of the women who were first to discover this good news that Jesus had been raised from the dead. Um, while you turn there, I want to ask you a question. It's a bit of an existential question. Is there more to life than just this? I mean this, all this, the fact that you're born and that you were raised and, and, and you live and you work and maybe you study and you make relationships and frankly you break relationships and then you die. Is there more to the human experience than just that? Or were we made for more? Read about um, a man named William Breitbart. He's a doctor. He specializes in end-of-life care. Um, this, I think, would be a really difficult job because when he goes to work, he walks into a patient's room that's been diagnosed uh, with cancer, and it's terminal. And he talks to them about their final wishes and he asks them how they're doing, and he's noticed something recently, that many of these people are ready to give up on life, and they want to talk about assisted suicide with the doctor. I only have a few months left to live, but I'm, just, I'm, I'm ready to go. Please, please help me. For example, one of his patients was this very, very successful IBM executive. He was dying of colon cancer. And he said this to the doctor, everybody said how important it is to have a positive attitude, but I just want to jump into the grave. Dr. Breitbart said, you know, this really wears on you, hearing how people have just given up on life toward the end of their life. And he started to ask some questions, and he started to do some research, and wondered who are the people who are inviting assisted suicide? Why are they inviting it? And he found this. People aren't asking to die because they're in pain. They're asking to die because they've lost all sense of meaning. The meaninglessness that they're experiencing at the end of their life is overwhelming. This is what he said. What I suddenly discovered was the importance of meaning, the search for meaning, the need to create meaning, the ability to experience meaning. That is a basic motivating force of human behavior. He said, we weren't taught this stuff at medical school. Another common denominator among those who were ready to end their lives was this. They all assumed that death meant the beginning of their non-existence. 
And if death means non-existence, well, then what's the point of living anymore? Happy Easter, everyone. <laughs> uh, I promise you that I'm not just trying to be morbid uh, or, or, or to, uh, to create a, a feeling of sadness in the room. One of the things I love about Easter is that it gives us every year uh, a moment of intense honesty where we can talk about life and death and meaning. And we can ask questions like, is, is this all there is to our lives. I mean, we can, we can actually bring those fears to church and wrestle through them. Because I don't know about you, but as I look at my life, if the point of my life is to be born and to live and then to die, and then there is a non-existent me, well then this, all of this, feels pretty meaningless to me. It feels pretty vain and pointless. And I'm not really okay with that. I'm not really okay with the fact that all of you have come today for something and that something is just like a cute social gathering where, where we feel good about ourselves, but it doesn't really have any enduring value. It doesn't connect to anything bigger. When Jesus' disciples experienced the horror of the cross, they were forced to wrestle with this possibility. Jesus is dead. And so all the teachings and all the transcendent moments, the healings, the, the exorcisms, the so-called miracles we thought Jesus was performing, the wisdom, the joy, the vigor, the passion we felt about this movement Jesus was a part of, well, Jesus is dead. And it seems like all of that is meaningless. And they had to just sit in that feeling rest of the day Friday, all day what we call Holy Saturday, until Easter Sunday. That's when they discovered that this isn't all there is to the human experience, that there is more, that Jesus came to give life and to give it abundantly, that Jesus did not stay dead, but rather that he defeated death. He put death to death and raised from his own death, walked out of his tomb, and gave hope to all of us to say, you were made for more. You were made for more than just this. You were made for more dignity and for more purpose and for more life. So I want to invite you to stand. I'm going to read this passage. Matthew 28, verses 1 to 10. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, this is Sunday, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you were looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now, I have told you. 
So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Please be seated. Lord Jesus, we need to see you this morning, not just in a familiar way that feels sort of comforting, but in a way that gives us life and a sense of purpose and meaning, vitality, Jesus, directly from you through your Holy Spirit, right to our hearts. That's a huge ask. Would you please do it? We pray in your name. Amen. So, is there more to life than just this? The resurrection of Jesus gives us the answer, yes. To start with, there's more dignity. You have more dignity because of Jesus' resurrection. Think about the life of Jesus. Just do a quick survey. He did some really radical, dignifying things. It seemed like he had a radar going about this part of Israel looking for people who had been robbed of their dignity in order to love them and to give them dignity. Jesus lived uh, in what we would call an honor-shame culture, right? Colombia is sort of an honor-shame culture. Um, that means that you would fit, if you lived in Jesus' day, into one of two categories. Either you were clean or you were unclean. If you were clean, well, then you were deserving of respect. You probably had a great sense of purpose. Um, people who were clean in those days would have typically been well-educated, successful men from a particular ethnicity, at least in a Jewish context, with particular good behaviors. But if you were a Samaritan, if you were a non-Jew, if you were a child, if you were a woman, if you were a public sinner of some sort, like a tax collector or a prostitute, well, then you were society's misfit. You were unclean. And you were to be ignored and to be shamed. And yet, over and over and over again, as we read the gospel story, that's not what Jesus does. He brings dignity to those who don't have dignity from their story. He loves the unlovable. He makes his home among the marginalized. He dines publicly with tax collectors and sinners, notorious sinners. And he didn't care what anybody thought about that. He loved and he invested in someone like the Samaritan woman who had been loved and left her whole life by the men in her life. He loved her and he gave her meaning and purpose. He put his hands on the untouchable. And when he defeated death, when he needed to announce his resurrection to the whole world, he chose a group of women. And you and I think, yeah, so what? Big deal, right? Men, women, whatever. No, that was a huge deal in this first century context. 
Women weren't really considered to be equal to men. They weren't really considered to be full citizens. They couldn't even testify in a court of law. And yet Jesus says, with the most important news in the whole history of humanity, I'm going to choose whom? I'm going to choose this group of women to be my witnesses. And so he did in verse 7. The angel says, hey, go and tell this news to the disciples. And then as they're walking to tell the news to the disciples, verse 9, Jesus meets them. They were the first to meet Jesus after he had been raised from the dead. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. And then he sent them on and said, go tell everybody else. I don't know where, what sort of clean, unclean thing you have in your story. I suspect all of us can relate to some degree to feeling unworthy and rejected. Just imagine how you would have felt if you were one of those women. Jesus, of all the people in the universe chose first to reveal himself to me. Jesus could have revealed himself to Pilate. He could have revealed himself to somebody like Herod, somebody big, rich, famous. Jesus could have found the BBC live news cameras and revealed himself to the whole world. He chose me, somebody like me. He chose a misfit, He entrusted a misfit with the greatest news in world history. He dignifies those who didn't get dignity from their story. And that, my friends, is a movement that will change the world. You know, that's what Christians were known for in the early centuries of Christianity, in the early church, right? I think we've lost our way in many ways. Christians were all about finding people who didn't have dignity and bringing them dignity, saying, oh, you matter, you're made in the image of God, especially with women in these first few centuries of Christianity. In the Roman world, boys and girls weren't the same. If you had a baby boy, it was something to be celebrated. If you had a baby girl, one of the first thoughts was, should we throw her away? And you know what Christians did? Christians scoured the beaches. They went into the forests in the forest to listen for the cries of little baby girls. They dug through the trash heaps to find little baby girls that had been abandoned. And they said, you belong to me. You belong in our family. We're going to love you. We're going to give you the dignity that you deserve. In the Roman world, you can understand why there was a shortage of women And so it was common for for a Roman man to look for a wife among children, among little girls. And Christians said, no, no, this must stop. I mean, there were little girls who were never allowed to leave their house for fear of being kidnapped, being forced to be a child bride. Christians said, no, we protect our girls. Our girls have dignity. They get married when they're old enough to get married. We treat them with dignity because they're made in the image of God. That's the sort of Jesus movement. That's the sort of dignity movement that will change the world and that Jesus inspired when he walked out of his tomb. Think about it. When Adam and Eve in the beginning were born, they were born in a place of, 
of, of, of, uh, or when they were created, they were created in a place, a context of dignity and delight. There was no need to hide. There was no shame. They were naked and un, unafraid. And it was that way until they invited the uninvited guests, the disease that infected all of us, that would pit one type of human against another type of human. And it has dripped through society and history all the way to us so that we can turn on the news and there are really people who think that a Ukrainian life matters less than a Russian life. And there are really people, some of us even, in our hearts who think that a poor life matters less than a rich life or an uneducated life matters less than an educated life. We really believe this. We've been infected with this dignity disease and Jesus came into our world to fix it all. To restore dignity to all who are made in his image. How does that sound to you this morning? Would you like that? I mean, maybe you have grown up where because of the country on your passport, because of the sound of your accent, because of the color of your skin, you have been robbed of dignity. Perhaps it's because of the mistakes you have made, the places you've been, the, pla- the things you've done or that have been done to you, that you've had dignity robbed from you. Jesus has come to say, look, you may not matter to anybody else in the world, but you matter to me. You matter to me. And he proved it with his life and with his death and the way he revealed himself in his resurrection. Dignity. There's There's more for you, more dignity. Is there more to life than just this? The resurrection of Jesus says yes. And one of the reasons there's more dignity is because now there is more purpose. How many of us go to sleep at night after a day's work and we wonder to ourselves, did I do anything today that has any enduring value? I mean, I sent some emails. I went to some meetings, I signed some papers, maybe I contributed to the bottom line of my company, but I, did I do anything that really makes a difference, that will outlast me and endure forever? Am I just working for a paycheck? Am I just a cog in the machine of humanity, just pretending to play a role, but having no real enduring purpose? Thomas Nagel is a philosopher. He used to be with NYU in New York City. He would say, yeah, that's actually about right. (laughs) You are a cog in this human machine, and the things you do, they may feel meaningful to you, but they don't really matter. There's no real meaning. He says, actually, the only sort of meaning that you get from your purpose is derived meaning, subjective meaning. There is no objective purpose or enduring value to the things you do. He says, for example... You could work your whole life and produce a great work of literature that continues to be read for thousands of years from now. Nevertheless, he says, eventually the solar system will cool or the universe will wind down and collapse and all traces of your effort will vanish. If you really think about the whole thing, he says it wouldn't matter if you had never existed. That's hard. We work hard. We want the things that we do and produce to matter and to last. And yet without Jesus walking out of his own tomb, they don't. Tim Keller sums it up like this. 
In other words, if there is no God or anything beyond this material world, then whether you've been good or cruel or murderous will make no final difference because no one will be around to remember anything. So basically, you can have a meaningful purpose as long as you can trick yourself into not thinking about how ultimately meaningless it is. Jesus is not okay with that. Get this, when he walked out of his own tomb that first Easter Sunday, he walked out with a mission to lead the greatest restoration plan in the history of the universe. And all of us, all of us by our connection to him, have been thrust into that mission with him. We have enduring purpose. We were made for enduring purpose. You know, when you go to nursing home facilities where people are near the end of their life, you can measure the quality of their lives by the purpose they feel or don't feel. And so when you bring in a group of rescue dogs and you say, hey, can you love these dogs and get them ready for adoption? Their quality of life shoots through the roof because they believe that they matter. These women believed that they mattered. They believed that they were part of this movement in history to change the world, to see all things renewed. And so they went and they told the disciples who then told other people. And a lot of these people took their calling so seriously in the mission of God that they were willing to die for their purpose. They told others who told others who told others who believed Jesus and his teachings, who wanted to follow Jesus on his life-giving mission, wanted to make a society playing their role, reshaping the world where there's more justice and there's more order and there's more peace and harmony and beauty and depth of relationship and texture of creativity and healing. They all said, wow, we're following Jesus in this world-changing mission. We have purpose. If you're like me, you probably think, yeah, but I'm so small. I mean, my corner of the world is just so small. Do I really have a purpose that endures? J.R. Tolkien, he wrote a a much lesser known short story than The Lord of the Rings. It's called Leaf by Niggle. Niggle was an artist whose life work was to produce a painting of a glorious tree with its branches stretching, dressed with leaves elegantly. Only Niggle loved his job so much, wanted to perfect his job so much, that at the end of his life, he stood back and he looked at his great painting, and all he had managed to produce was one tiny leaf. It was a beautiful leaf, But it was a leaf without a tree, other leaves, branches, without a trunk. Tolkien tells the story, Niggle died, and when he went to heaven, he rode a heavenly train to an unknown destination. When he got to the destination, he stepped off the train, and he was shocked. He saw it there, his tree, complete, beautiful, full of life. This is what Tolkien writes. He went on looking at the tree. All the leaves he had ever labored at were there, just as he had imagined them, rather than as he had actually made them. And there were others that had only budded in his mind, and many that might have budded if only he had had time. Tim Keller, in a different book, talks about eternal purpose 
and this story. He says, once or twice in your life, you may feel like you've finally gotten a leaf out. Whatever your work, you need to know this. There really is a tree. There really is a tree. Whatever you are seeking in your work, the city of justice and peace, a world of brilliance and beauty, the story, the order, the healing, it is there. There is a God. There is a future healed world that he will bring about, and your work is showing it, at least in part. Your work will be only partially successful on your best days in bringing that world about, but inevitably the whole tree that you seek, the beauty, harmony, Justice, comfort, joy, and community, all of it will come to fruition. This is what we do when we follow Jesus, who is our living Lord. When we put our purposes to his purpose, our purposes suddenly make an eternal difference so that you have a leaf, and Mary has a leaf, and the other Mary, as she's called, has a leaf, and I have a leaf, and we together, shoulder to shoulder with our Savior, are building a new something with Him, a new world that is blossoming with justice and order and beauty and texture and creativity and relationship and healing. You, you have a purpose that endures forever because you're on mission with Jesus, the living Savior, who is making all things brand new. Is there more to life than just this? The resurrection of Jesus says yes. More dignity, more purpose, all because Jesus gives us more life. We were made for life. If you can have a moment of clarity and look in your own heart, you'll see how all of your instincts are fighting desperately for more life and that you hate with every fiber of your being death. That's good. You reflect the biblical story. Sometimes we say death is just a natural part of the human experience. The biblical story says, no, it's not. Adam and Eve were created in a context in which there was no human death. Death was the intruder. Death was the great disruptor of the human story. Every instinct inside of us points to that, that we were made for life, not death. This is why when someone we love dies, we can't believe that they're really gone. This is why we, we spend our money on, on beauty creams and anti-aging formulas and we go to the doctor and we, and we try to convince our doctor to invest in fighting our own aging process. Or it's why when the doctor I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon sits with a patient who's terminally ill, they spiral into depression and they lose all sense of humanity and their purpose and meaning. It's because we're coming to grips and we hate it with this reality that our bodies really are decaying. Even as we sit here, our bodies are decaying. And we'll do everything in our power to fight it and rebel against that. Larry King, um, famous TV host in my country, promised uh, on, on television, he's in an interview with Conan O'Brien, a late night TV show, show host, uh, that when he died, he was going to be cryogenically frozen. Um, they talked about it. This is what he said. He said, I don't believe in an afterlife. I just never accepted it. I never made that leap of faith. So that means that when you die, it's bye-bye, baby. So the only hope 
the only fragment of hope is to be frozen. And then someday they're going to cure whatever you died of, and then you're back. And as I, I rewatched it this week, I just thought to myself, my goodness, is that really the only fragment of hope that you have? How utterly sad and depressing. Then as you continue to watch the interview, they actually, I mean, it's, it's a talk show, it's supposed to be funny, but they actually went on to just to pick fun at it and to laugh and to talk about how absurd and ridiculous it is because I have to tell you, if that's the way you feel about death, that your only hope in death is to be frozen so that maybe one day science or medicine will come back and save you, if that's your only hope, then the only way to really cope with that is to laugh it off or to push it deep down, to ignore it, to numb yourself through the rest of your life, like Isaiah chapter 22, verse 13 describes, eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Laugh, cope, ignore, or Jesus invites us to pay attention, to pay attention to that instinct deep inside of all of us, to not be okay with death, to follow that longing for life all the way to the living Savior who put it there and fans it to flame. Paul, when he's talking about this passage, actually, in 1 Corinthians 15, he's saying some pretty radical things like, hey, if there's no resurrection of the dead, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then all of this is pointless and we're fools. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam, all connected to Adam, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all, all connected to Christ, all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, and then when he comes, those who belong to him. What Paul is saying is what happened to Jesus is going to happen to us. You have real hope, real hope that when you die, you don't stay dead, that you too will be raised to a life of eternity. If you're trusting in Christ, it's a life of eternity in a world that you've helped to rebuild, in a world that is full of harmony and beauty and justice and peace and all those beautiful layers that humanity wants and longs for. It's a world with one another. It's a world with our risen King Jesus. And so, therefore, we don't have to scratch and claw in life to make meaning for ourselves. We were made for more. Jesus gives us that more. Jesus gives us his life. You were made for more dignity. You were made for more purpose, and you were made for more life. And if you want that sort of life that Jesus is offering, then you need to do what these women did. As they're on their way, having heard what the angel said to them, to go tell the disciples, listen to this again. They hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, they clasped his feet, and they worshipped him. Friends, if you want life, if you're sick and tired of death, this fear of meaninglessness, the 
then the only hope is to grab onto Jesus, to attach your life to Jesus and cling to Jesus with every fiber of your being, knowing that Jesus clings infinitely tighter to you and to me, knowing that we are infinitely safe in his love and in his life. You were made for more. You were made for that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this word. Thank you for this um, bizarre, confusing, uh, almost unbelievable story of Jesus defeating death. Lord, you, you know our hearts and you know how cold this can become to our hearts. And we would plead with you that you wake us up by your spirit. Wake us up. Um, wake us from our slumber. That we would be a, a people who leave here believing in resurrection life. We'll be a people who go about uh, giving dignity the way you give dignity to us and going about our purpose as if it is your purpose and being agents of life as Jesus is the ultimate agent of life. Please do this. We need you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to support the ministry of UCB, please visit our website at ucbogota.org.